I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there, it's Jay Comfrey here. Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast. The best football debate show on TV is now available as a podcast and you can find us on iTunes, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Joining me at Anfield to discuss the game of the weekend and all the day's Premier League action was Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard and they love him around these parts. The one and only Stephen Gerrard. So sit down and enjoy. First, let's have a quick look at the headlines from today where Eagles dare. That man with a late winner today for Crystal Palace. They were just gone, weren't they? We had a conversation a few weeks ago and we all agreed they're gone. They're relegated already and suddenly three points away from safety. Such is football and such is the Premier League. The other big headline today, Rondon, Salaman Rondon turning on the star today for West Brom. No Tony Pulis, but a really important point for them as well today. And our fun headline of the day, horns, blast, magpies. It was a bad day for Newcastle, but Watford once again. And Marco Silva adding to uh, his credibility in the Premier League with a good win for them today as Rio checks out all of the scores. Right, uh, let's get going on it then. Um, loads of questions that have come in for you guys. So we will uh, we'll start by diving straight in to Red Knight 19. And I haven't primed any of these. Settle this one once and for all. Who's the best, Frank, Stephen or Paul Scholes? And be honest. Re. <laughs> That's a great start. <laughs> Unbelievable start. What a way to start the programme. Oh, okay. We'll just sit and watch what he says now, shall we? Get on the fence. Well, I, well I wouldn't have played Skolzy left wing in the England team. Who would? Some managers did. Yep. Um, I would have played a diamond and got them all in. That's not really answering the question. The question is who's the best, Frank, Stephen or Skolzy? I can't ask him that. It's yeah, a hard question, that. They've, got, they've all got great attributes. Do you know what I mean? Lamps are scoring 20 goals a season. Stephen, what's that? Who's the best? You want to say me, Anna? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say not me now, am I? <laughs> I think, can I just ask that? Is that another way? I think both of them, not even I, I think, yeah, corner, yeah, is I he? know, but I think both, all of them would have said themselves. Yeah. And that's what top players do. They stay back themselves in any situation. Yeah. And I think each and every one would have had an argument to suggest themselves. We all know the answers, Paul Skulls. Uh, <laughs> Lukey <laughs> underscore zero, zero, zero. Um, if you don't need the stress, why would you be a manager? So you're currently managing the under-18s and the under-19s in Europe. I know that you have designs to get into management. You've got absolutely no interest in leaving the TV studio where it's warm and you get well paid to sit here and share your opinions. Is that right? Who told you that? I can just read between the lines. <laughs> right at this moment in time, yeah. management isn't part of my um, okay. plans, but... In the, in the future, who knows? He's this man, isn't he? Fingers are in too many pies already. <laughs> what about you two, then? If you don't need the stress, why do it? 
To be honest with you, you get stressed as a player, you become thick-skinned, you love it, you enjoy it. It was a journey of highs and lows, and I'm sure it'll be the same when you go into coaching and management. Um, I love the game, I want to stay involved in the game, and I want to try and grow as a coach and a manager, and hopefully one day I'll be good enough uh, to be a manager at the top level, but um, it's, it's a dream at the moment, there's a long way to go, but I quite fancy it. And is it partly, despite all the amazing things you achieved at Liverpool, the fact that still in the back of your head you think to win the Premier League is that one little bit of unfinished business and you'd love to do it as a manager? Is there a little bit of that? A little bit, yeah. yeah. But it's not the, the whole reason. The main drive. It's more about the game and wanting to stay involved and having that daily buzz of, of working around top players and competing. Um, you know, Every three, four days you'd have a different test, yeah. different game to challenge yourself out with a gang of players. You know, That's a good buzz for me. It's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. Just a challenge of yourself, challenge of trying to improve players, improve a team. It's a, a massive challenge. There, is, there are stresses, there are many stresses, but it's, uh, you have to be aware of them, but take on the challenge. OK. Um, the next question comes from Laurie. Hello, Laurie. Uh, this is a question that's come in on Facebook. Hello to everyone watching the show for the first time uh, on Facebook or on Twitter. True or false, Stephen, did you sleep with the Champions League trophy on that amazing night in May? It was in the same room as me when I went asleep, right. yeah, because we were in a in a party till early hours in the but night. Not in the bed. You weren't wrapped. No, I wasn't in the bed with the quilt on it, no, but it was in the room. So however you want to read into that really. If I'd have won that man, I'd have had it in the bed with me. I lost uh, my I lost my medal. Did you that night. Did you? Well, I had a few drinks, yeah, and I was with Jody Morris, a friend of mine who was in the team party and uh, a few drinks well, yeah, let me try that on and I forgot about it completely. He sent me a picture. <laughs> did, he? did he keep it? He, he sent me a picture of it in the morning and a beer in the next morning. Have you got it back since? Oh, yeah, it's back now. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, uh, another one that's come in uh, for you again, actually, Stevie. This is from Henry, also on Facebook. Stevie, you said that in the week you were still drunk from 2005. A year on, what was the party like after that game? Yeah, it was messy, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, went on till the next morning, basically, and then uh, we'd done a team picture outside the hotel, got on the plane, and Got past another beer, so basically kicked right on, and then we went into the centre that night, kicked on again. Love it. So I probably had about, I don't know, 10 hours in the next four or five days sleep. Nice. Yeah, it was a messy party for three, four days. Nice. Might as well. Um, lots of people taking the opportunity to ask you questions. Um, Kev, Kelv UK, Stevie G, um, are the Reds lacking a true leader on the pitch like Cara 23? I think all three of you can answer this. All three of you were leaders. Um, is that what they're lacking? I think, I think I think this team will always miss a player like Cara because you know he, he was an organizer um, he was a fantastic leader especially for me I was more of a more of a quiet captain if you like so to have a voice like Cara behind me organizing everyone um, obviously Liverpool I've had defensive issues this year so of course a player that Jamie's yeah. quality would, would improve them, so yeah, I'd probably say yeah to that one. Yeah, I think they're missing that, but I think in today's game there aren't too many out there in the market as well. So when Klopp's looking to buy someone, you hope that. He was in for Van Dijk. You hope that he'd be able to come in and have the stature, the personality, the presence to lead a team. Because I do feel they're lacking something like that in the team. When when things aren't going their way, you get the vibe that people are looking around more to the bench than someone on the pitch. And I think that's something that they need to change really to maybe take this team on. I think you need a few. I don't think it's one person. Jordan Henderson's the captain. He looks pretty vocal where he stands up and speaks, but you need a few. They need more then, is that what you're saying? I, I just mean personalities and characters. You never have enough, can you? You no, can never have enough leaders. Managers always say we need everyone to lead and everyone to be vocal, but a lot of players... There's less of that now in the game. We spend a lot of time actually talking about players afterwards and all three of you often say, oh, yeah, they're quite quiet, they're quite a quiet guy. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're not good or not good enough. Um, they're just different personalities. Um, Jamie was quite loud and vocal and organised and it worked. Um, but you can still do that if you're a matter. 
You know, you don't have to be vocal. You can just do the way you play and the way you lead and being in the right positions. But, you know, it's a bonus. If you're a team and you've got five or six vocal leaders and the good players, it's a bonus. You need people to demand off each other. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a part of it as well. Not just shouting for the sake of shouting. You've got to demand certain standards of people, not just on the pitch of 90 minutes, but the training ground through the week. There's standards that are going to be set throughout the training ground that are going to come out and, and, and bear their, their faces during the 90 minutes. So you've got to get it right in the training ground. And there's players in, within the, in, in the club, not just the captain, two, three, four, five players who will always demand that. Your timekeeping, your quality of training on the training pitch, etc. OK, um, as you can see, we've got loads of questions. We'll get to those in just a couple of moments. But if you've not seen Premier League tonight before, um, it's a show all about the fans and we have to get videos sent in to us. And we've got one now from Gareth, I believe. Gareth, the floor is yours. My question for the panel would be, if you continually throw results away, two in the space of a week, how do you keep on lifting yourselves? How do you go into your next match believing you can win the match? OK, so Gareth's gone sort of negative on the result, I guess, then, for Liverpool today. What do you think? Yeah, you've got to dust yourself down. Mm -hmm. I, I, I used to get a hangover from games when I was at West Ham at Leeds, and at Leeds, um, the, the, the hangover would last three or four days. And it was the, the mentality when I went to Manchester United was a stark contrast to that in that you'd get a draw away from home or you'd lose, but there'll be something positive to take out of it, maybe a result from another team. You'd find something positive to get you through the next couple of days. The team that you're chasing maybe drop points as well, draw a line under it straight away. Look at what they've done, and we're still in within a shout. Draw positives from somewhere to keep the positivity through the, uh, the camp. I think it just goes back to what we said before: personality through the team, mental toughness. You lose games. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say today was a big, big issue. You played against a good team and you yeah. drew one-one. The, the, the result in the week was different, but you need big personalities who stand up and go again. I think they were unlucky today in, in, in terms of how the equaliser come about. I think they've got to take the positives out of today's performance, dust themselves down, and move on to the next couple of fixtures, which are winnable on paper, but. They need to perform to the level they did today for 85 minutes. OK, um, here's a question from uh, James on Facebook. Jose has said tonight he's offered Carrick a place on the coaching staff. Thoughts on that, Rio? It depends what place um, yeah. and how influential will be, but I think that's, um, that's a great gesture. You want to keep it's a great club, gesture though. because Carras has been a great servant at Manchester United. He's a fantastic lad. Um, he's, he's got a lot to give back. He's very intelligent. Um, and he's doing his badges. I'm sure he wants to stay in the, in, in, in the game in a coaching capacity as well. So okay. it's a great gesture. I'm interested in this one from Matt Ashton, actually. Um, he said, was it right for Everton to sack Koeman without plan B in place? I've never known such a mess. Look, this has gone on for weeks now. They clearly didn't have someone else lined up when they decided to get rid of him. So, it, Or if they did, that person hasn't made the decision to join them. So how is it ever better to not have a permanent replacement lined up than it is to have Koeman in charge. Well, How could they, this are, be... they, have, they have had a plan B and it was Unsworth. Um, and for whatever reason, it, it, they haven't had that lift or that buzz from someone work, else coming it? in and it hasn't worked. No, so they need to find a replacement pretty quick. But I think they're going to find it out getting silver because he, he's flying at the moment mm. and I'm sure Wofford are not going to let him go. It's not a good situation for Everton. Spend all that money, build that team and they sort of seem rudderless now, don't they? Yeah. Um, who, hard to call it now whether it would have been the same with Koeman or not. I, I think they were right to make the change. And it seems like Silver's the one they've really gone for him in the last. But only right to make the change if you can get a replacement, surely, or well, you have your. They, they, they would have had a meeting, I guess. We're going to sack him. Unsworth is there, and we're going to put him in for that period of time and see how it goes. Unfortunately, it's gone from bad to worse, and then this this becomes a real issue. So yeah, maybe have someone ready to go, but they, they didn't. You know. Mm. I think you look at the recruitment in the summer in terms of the, in the attacking positions. Yeah. When you look at Everton in the last three or four years, they've had quick players: Lukaku, Morales, Delafau. Quick, wide, quick strikers. Yeah. 
they went completely opposite this year with recruitment. Players of quality, but no real pace. And in today's game, as we see today, the two players making a difference for both teams, Hazard, Salah, pace. Yeah, yeah the man leading the recruitment at Everton remains there and the manager is the one who goes. Yeah, well... OK, uh, George asks a question also on Facebook. If you weren't a footballer, what would you have done? Good question. Good question. I can't imagine any of you can think of anything else really other than just kicking the ball about. What, what was it? What would it have been? I don't know, maybe a trade, I don't know. Maybe a trade to fall back on, I haven't got a clue. Um, always wanted to be a footballer from a young age. Um, worked ever so hard to get there, but I'm not sure what my plan B would have been. A lawyer. <laughs> That's a slightly different answer. <laughs> what? I'm not as bright as Frank. <laughs> it's a trade, don't it? <laughs> None of us are as bright as Frank. It is a no, trade, yeah, it is a trade. Not a bad one I used to watch LA Law and you remember that. LA Law. Remember LA Law? Are you watching Suits now? Suits uh, I've got a bit bored of it recently. Yeah, yeah I did. But it got a bit complicated. That's where Harry met his missus, wasn't it? All about you, Ria. Um, I don't know, I'd have worked for the council. I'd have worked for the council with the kids, probably. All my mates work with the council for the... With the children and the youth clubs and stuff, I'd have probably fell into that, if I'm honest. OK. Um, how is the boxing going? It's all right. Not bad. Hard work. It's hard work. Have, is it? Yeah. Very different to football. Different type of fitness, but it's enjoyable. OK. Uh, Nat9900, who was the joker at your... You think your eyesight's all right until you read these, don't you? <laughs> um, who was the joker at your respective clubs? Oh. oh. But you've had a few. Uh, John Monker at West Ham was John the funniest Monker. man I've was ever he? Why? in football. He was just a lunatic. Yeah. I remember we, we had training one time and uh, at West Ham it used to be first come first serve with a kit with the track suits and the wet tops. It was a, a day raining, really cold, yeah. um, dirty, murky day. And we everyone's got in, got their gear, run outside to start warming up. We used to do a lap of the training ground first straight away. So we're all doing a lap and then Monks just comes out in a pair of football boots and socks, nothing else, and a pair of slips, <laughs> that's it. And he said, I got here late, boys, no gear. Do you want me to train or not? And the lads were like, what's that? But he was a lunatic, wasn't he? A crazy guy. Great school joker, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Good guy. He's the main one I've had. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, we didn't really have anyone sort of mad like that. We were speaking about a young Davy Tomo yeah. earlier on. <laughs> um, in the early days, anyway, when Tomo was about, he was a joker. Always lifting the dressing room with banter, jokes, you know, always at the hub of it. And then Cara was the opposite. He was the only one who dishes the verbals out and, <laughs> and killed people every five minutes. Ruthless. Ruthless. Uh, Andy says, are Spurs in need of a winger of real quality as they find it hard breaking teams down? They've, they've offered the suggestions of Mahrez or maybe Wilfred Zaha from Palace. Frank? Yeah, I think we, we mentioned this in midweek in, in the Champions League coverage of Tottenham. Huge credit for what they've done over there, built over a few years, but are they one player still away? A creative attacking winger, attacking midfield player away from being where they want to be? Okay, a couple of quick ones. Um, how do Stephen and Frank think they would have done in uh, a Pep midfield? I'd have loved to have played in one of his midfields. You know, that's the way I like to play: pass and possession, and play through. And obviously, what a buzz it'd be to have him on the sideline trying to coach and improve it as a player. Same, yeah, same. Who would uh, Rio have in his Man United attack? What do you mean? Signing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Who would you like to sign up front for United? Or is it who, Lukaku or Ibrahimovic? Oh, you'd have Lukaku, wouldn't you? Yeah, Lukaku, but you can pick and choose and put uh, Zlatan in against the teams that you'd expect to beat, I think. And um, finally, from James on Facebook, thanks for all these. The toughest Liverpool centre mid Frank has ever come up against, aside from Stephen? Uh, Xavi Alonso. Quality. Loads of three-word match reports coming in. Uh, Jim Linsky, evening Jim. He's a uh, West Brom fan. He just says so much better. Hope you are as well. Uh, Gareth Williams, always lucky United. 
That'll be a Liverpool fan, I imagine. Um, Gary Halsey, three massive points. Um, and Sol Thomas, who's a Swansea fan, showed more fight. Robert Adams, Watford fan, his three-word match report is Silver is staying. Um, if you did a three-word match report on West Ham last night, what would you have said? Three words. Um... It's not easy, is it? A little bit better. A little bit better, would you agree yeah. with that? More passion displayed. <laughs> There you go. You'd have been a great lawyer in the courtroom, you. Um, was it better? Uh, yes. Uh, there was more passion. There was a bit more fight in the tackle, a bit of fight, uh, pressing people. Uh, not easy going 1-0 down. We all know about the crowd. I think the crowd need to help them more, but they need to help themselves on the pitch. And by showing that fight, it will help the whole situation. But uh, I still worry about the quality. I still worry that Andy Carroll is a reference and they need to stick balls into him. I think once that doesn't work, what's plan B? I'm not sure they have much of that at the minute. Mm. This was the incident with Andre Ayew, of course, there's not going to be any retrospective action because the referee saw it and dealt with it at the time, which saves him the embarrassment that we've already seen uh, players go through. There you go. Comedy. Didn't manage to deceive the ref. Comedy oh, sketch almost. Oh, it's um, awful, isn't it? No, I think West Ham, I think the, the fans there, they demand to see fight, passion, and in, in weeks gone by, maybe there wasn't enough of that, and that's why they've been disgruntled. But now they've got a new manager. Once you get a new manager coming through the door, you've got to get behind them. No matter what you think of them, you've got to get behind them and make sure you give them a good, good lift at the start of their, their journey. Now, obviously, you two shared a dressing room at West Ham. and I was interested to read the story this week when you were speaking to other media outlets, which I'll just about forgive you for. Um, but it was about you two not talking to each other when you played for England, having been mates when you were barrelling around East London as young lads. Just explain from both of your perspectives sort of how this first began. Where did the seed oh, first start? Mine was that we were both at West Ham, came through, done everything together, yeah. room together, proper mates. everywhere. Proper mates yeah. from like 14, 15 years old, done everything. And then I left and went to Leeds and eventually Manchester United and Frank went to Chelsea. And really around that time, we just kind of, our, our communication just kind of just disintegrated. And it was down to really, from my perspective, and Frank will give you his after, but the obsession with winning. I didn't want to see Frank have an edge on me. I didn't want to speak to him about anything that might, he might be able to take away and, and use to, to facilitate his team winning, etc. And I, it just became an unwritten kind of conduct, really. And it was the same with Stevie. When I was of England, Stevie, when we was battling for them for, for the Premier League, I didn't want to really sit around him and be around him because I just didn't want to hear what Liverpool was doing. And it's a fact, he was. And I know he felt the same about me. It's a fact. No, he didn't. He, <laughs> he loved was. him with you. He didn't but know why he never spoke to him. We're, we're a power. I didn't want to sit by him. <laughs> but, did Fergie tell you you can't speak to anyone? <laughs> no. He used to say, don't go. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, don't go. We've got a game, big game Saturday. Uh, well, I'm an England fan, and I'm sitting at home thinking, this is brilliant, this is the golden generation, these lads love each other, they play together, they can't wait to go and win a World Cup together. I think that's what held but us back. But it sounds like what you're saying is you were putting club above country because you were, you were so bothered about winning for your club. But and it, I'm watching you thinking, can you win for the country? But it was subconsciously. It wasn't like, it wasn't like at the forefront of our minds going, whatever happens in England, I don't care. This is about Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool. This is, it's like, you didn't, I didn't mean it. It's looking back retrospectively now, this is how I see it was. That's what we want now, isn't it? To take on the club that you play for. I certainly felt we're at Chelsea, Stevie obviously at Liverpool, Mr Liverpool, Rio the same, took on Manchester United. You feel so passionately about the club you play with, your teammates, your own performance and yourself, that to, to be a bit pally with someone down the road who you're competitive with... But didn't that hold naturally... back England? It may have done. I think Rio's right. I think it may, we, we, sat, we didn't hate each other, we went, but by, by nature we would sit on tables and stick together slightly. Um, a lot of other nations have players playing all over the world. Then they come back together and they're probably, they don't have that competitive. Every week we were at each other in some way, shape or form. 
Yeah, I think it was more of respectful relationships around England rather than yeah. a bond, rather yeah. than the closeness where, yeah. where there was love there. Um, you know, when I speak to other international players when I played, like you, you could see in yours and stuff, they can't wait to go away with Brazil. It's the best 10 days of their season, if you like. Um, whereas you didn't really get that feeling when you, when you went away with England. You were looking forward to the games, but everything else around the games was a bit like... Mm. Like, like that. Isn't that something we have to try and have change? Have to improve that? it, have to change it. I think the bond and the spirit and the togetherness and the closeness has to improve. I think Gareth's trying to do that and I think it will definitely help results on the pitch because, as Rio said, um, I think possibly it did have an effect on, on how well we did. Having so, saying that, we, we got to the quarter-finals of competitions and were that close yeah. on penalty yeah. shootouts. I'm sure yeah. the fans would take that now. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but you sort of wonder if you had had that amazing maybe, bond, maybe, maybe that would have been maybe. The, but, the little but bit what, you needed. Yeah. Just What's the difference with this generation coming through now is that they're winning trophies together. From 17 years old, they're winning trophies together. So they've, they, they've created that bond from now. So that will carry on throughout their senior years as well. Hopefully they all come through together. Yeah. I look at Spain. David de Gea's era, and just before that with Iniesta, they were doing well with their youth teams. Mm. Under-21s mm. go straight into the first team. They've carried that through, Germany, so East Germany is exactly the same. Hopefully we're now at the beginning of that cycle here of England. But we have to stop this thing happening again, though, don't we? This can't, this sort of little tweaks and You'll sets. find it hard to take it away. The basics, I think, of what Rio said, of, of when you're playing week in, week out for your club, to be pally, it, it can happen, but I, I, am, I understand exactly what you're saying. I felt the same. It was we didn't ever speak about it, just the way it went. Yeah, it was weird. We just were so did the focused. managers try and do anything about it? Capello or Sven? Did they see what was going on? And as Rio said, he wasn't even aware of it, so I'm not sure the managers mm. would have picked up on it because they just see it at meal times and you're chatting together and you're out together. But it could have definitely been better than more, more together. The only thing they it? did try, the only thing they did try and do was the table situation. We used to get like four or five tables. You'd have a Man United table, you'd have a Liverpool and other table, yeah. you'd have a Shearer and East table. Do you know what I mean? And it was it was different, it was weird. And so what they done was made it one table, didn't they, at the dinner times? Every lunch, breakfast and dinner, it was one big table. <laughs> Man United end. Man United end. <laughs> <laughs> so you work your way around it, just different tables. But I don't know, would you change it? I don't know. It's difficult. You'd love to we'd love to have all I'd love to have won with England, obviously. But to the detriment of winning for your club as well, it's a hard one. It's a piece of the puzzle, isn't it? It's one thing. There are loads of reasons why it didn't quite come mm. right, as Stephen said. We got to quarterfinals, but hopefully this new generation coming through as a block, they will have that bond stronger than maybe we did. So what would your message now be to Gareth and to those young players coming through? Don't allow, don't allow this sort of desire to win for your club to get on top of you when you're with your country? I think just park it up a bit more and get them together, get them mixing more, spend them yeah. more time together and, and don't have any clicks or any... Don't let them bring the Premier League situation into the international setup. Do you regret it? It's, it's not something to say I regret. I regret that we couldn't win anything, but it's not that simple. It just felt natural. What mm. we were doing, we were doing our clubs. Yeah. We were all focused on our thing. I don't think there was anything personal. It certainly wasn't between us. Though. But I don't think that's the only reason why we didn't win. No. Do you know what I mean? We, you couldn't just put it to that. There were so many other different variables that could affect us winning. What when when you look back, what do you what do you put it down to? The, you know, we called you, didn't we? The press called you the golden generation. You didn't label yourselves that, but we expected so much of you. What do you three now look back on and think? Maybe that was. I don't we think were. we had a manager who was maybe I don't know if that's the right word. Brave enough to sort out our midfield. We had the best midfield on paper. We had the best midfield players in the world at the time. Yep. Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, Beckham. Hargreaves, Carrick, I mean, you can go on. And even below that, you had more players. But a depth of talent in there, ridiculous. We played a rigid 4-4-2. Mm. So if you've got the best midfielders in the world, you try and get them in a team of a diamond or whatever, you play them. 
and all of these guys could have been interchangeable within that system. You, you see Spain now, Germany, they would have fitted into them teams because they would have made sure their best players, most creative players would have been on the pitch. I don't think we had a manager who really had a, f a philosophy or a way of playing that worked in terms of constructing mm. possession-wise to keep the ball long enough. I felt as if most of the time it, with England, it, you picked a team and you went out and tried to play. Yeah. And we played very individual. I didn't feel like we were a part of a team that played a certain way and that's the way we stuck to under a certain manager. Um, I think that's one factor, but I think also we have to take responsibility of ourselves. Yeah. You know, I, I felt as if I didn't hit the peak or my top performances playing for England. I did every now and again, but I didn't consistently. So, in terms of factors, I was one of the factors. Um, not having a manager that created a philosophy to play within, that was another factor. Not bonding enough lads, what we've just been speaking about, another factor. There's a lot of factors around it. Maybe it being too hot at certain times. Um, maybe we had injuries to certain players, like, for example, when we lost Rio going into a world. There's a lot of factors. And reasons why you don't win, but I think first and foremost you've got to look at yourself. We'll, we'll always take personal responsibility first, and yeah. we're all very honest about that. We're very driven, you know, when you're not at the level. But I definitely think going to, from a midfield point of view, going to World Cups would breeze, say breeze through the group, comfortably get through the group. Four four two was fine. Then you go and play in a really hot country and go and play against Paraguay, and they've got four little fellas in midfield <laughs> playing one twos around you. And yeah. me and Stevie slightly out of position. I'm used to being a bit free to get four, but all of a sudden I've got to defend against four. Everything changed in an instant and it's very tough to get a grip of a game midfield when you're outnumbered. At the same time, it's difficult for a manager to say to a Wayne Rooney or a Michael Owen, you're not playing today, yeah. we're going to go 4-5-1 yeah. and pack the midfield. It, it's difficult. It uh, sounds to me like you're sitting on the bus going to a crucial World Cup game. The nation are getting their snacks and their drinks, about to sit down in front of the telly. And you're not necessarily sitting on that bus thinking, we've got this nailed, brilliant team looking around, knowing exactly where everyone's playing. There's slight anxiety on that bus or there's a little bit of doubt about the manager and the approach? No, I don't think it was doubt, but we all, when you're in, a, in, that, in that bubble of a tournament, you, you go in there thinking as positively as you can, we're going to have a chance to win this. But in the back of your mind, you're going in against a Brazil, you're going in against, like you say, a Paraguay later on in, the, in, the, in the, the, the competition, almost half knowing you're going to get popped, you're oh, going to get played off the pitch the in worst. terms of possession, yeah. you're not going to have a lot of the ball, you have to defend well and hope to nick a goal. And that's not a nice way to go no. into, a, into a game, considering the teams that we're coming from where we dominate a lot of possession and you're winning things. To go into an England team like that is such a, diff, a big shift in terms of pre preparation for a game. Knowing what talent we had in our squad as well, it was quite frustrating in that respect. So do you look back on your England days now and smile? No, I've got good memories and, and, and happy times when you've won and you've reached caps, milestones, your goals and, and the performances and being around all the quality players and stuff. But of course, a city are thinking, like, it could have been better. We could have had a better manager. I could have done better. All these things go through your mind. So it's probably mixed, probably mixed emotions. A lot of pride. I feel a lot of pride for the amount of caps. I never thought I'd get anywhere near the caps I got, but definitely that feeling of wish we could have done better. I never really enjoyed a World Cup and, and I hate that because the World Cup, you speak to young players, you go into a World Cup, it's like the dream. And I went and for me personally it didn't go great so I was carrying that around with me for the whole month or six weeks so I have small regrets that that didn't work. But Yeah, shoulda, woulda, coulda type thing, you know I mean? only if type feelings. Fascinated chat and knowing you three as I do, it certainly wasn't through lack of desire or love for your country, that's for sure. Uh, right, uh, time to talk um, about today's action. Let's first of all start by hearing from Chris. Chris. What a game we had today against Stoke. 2-1 winners, last-minute goal. Those are the moments that make football such a beautiful game to watch. Just couldn't believe it when the ball went in. Mamadou Sako, first game for Palace as a captain, first goal for Palace. And 
first goal for Palace for Loftus-Cheek as well. Just a, a great day. Not our best performance, not as good as we have been in recent weeks, but still deserving of the three points. And even when it looked bleak, we didn't give up. And sometimes if you can have that fighting spirit, that quality, it can take you far. And it's a quality that I think the team and the club shares with, with the people who come to watch us play. They don't give up either. They don't throw the towel in. They don't allow themselves to moan or complain all the time. They, they, they also try to keep believing and try to keep spurring the players on to get what might even look like an impossible goal. And at one time it did, of course, look impossible. We had a conversation on this show asking whether we thought Palace were doomed. You can see here the records under the two managers, though. Uh, under De Boer, four games compared to the nine under Hodgson. No wins for Frank De Boer, two wins for Roy at the moment. So his eight points. And those eight points have all come from the possible 12 he could have picked up at home. He is making a difference, Frank. But, you know, you very honestly said only about a month ago you thought that was... That was Thanks for <laughs> reminding me of that. <laughs> I'll just remind you another time. Yeah. Um, but... It's, the turnaround has been a surprise, but it's as much about teams above Palace struggling as it is about Palace picking up some points, yeah. isn't it? And I, I think the, the level down the bottom, there are a lot of teams that are in it. The reason I said that, they were so far adrift at the time. And credit to them, they've showed fighting spirit. They do have, which some other teams might not have down there, that little bit of extra quality, I think, going forward. Mm. Zaha, their losses cheek when Benteke does get fit. So there are some options for them going forward where they can score goals. But it's still a long fight for them. By no means are they, are they out of it. And, and if we just take a look at that table, if you're a Palace fan, you look at that and you think that Swansea are dropping like a stone. West Ham have changed their manager. West Brom have changed their manager. Everton have changed their manager. There's big pressure now starting to pile up onto Mark Hughes. Southampton are not performing this season like previous seasons. That If you're a Palace fan, there are reasons to be optimistic. But if you're a football fan looking at that, you know, there are some... There are some real strugglers in the Premier League this season down the bottom. Yeah, there are. And like you said, and you look at that, that chart there, there's, there's not much between them all. But I think what Palace do have, what they didn't have under um, the previous manager in terms of fitness and, and presence and being on the pitch is, is Wilfred Zaha. He gives them a different, yeah. a different um, dimension, the way he plays. Very unpredictable, very direct, and he's getting better and better each year. And since he's come back, that's been another reason I think the fortunes of, of, of Palace have changed. Taking points on the board as well as the squad available, do you look at what Roy is working with there and think him and that squad have enough to get out of trouble? If they keep the main players fit, I think they need to keep Sacco fit at the back. I think he keeps them together. Roy will always have them organised and, and stiffen them up and be hard to play against. And then they can keep your Zahars fit, get Benteke back and get him fired. I think they should have enough. But I agree with Frank, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, they've put a couple of results together, but there's still a long yeah. way. OK, let's talk about another team who are down at the bottom. Congratulations to West Brom. They picked up a point at Wembley today. Um, it was a great day for Gary Megson and a good day for this man as well. Massive point today for Albion here at Wembley. Gary Megson's brought a feel-good factor back to the club in the week that he's been here. Played well, really probably should have won. Spurs only had one shot all game. Ron Don should have scored at the end, but will take a point at Wembley all day long. Massive point for the Albion, ready for Alan Pardew to come in and rejuvenate our season. Morris Anology says it's 2017 and West Brom fans are singing one Gary Megson at Wembley. What a time to be alive. Um, well done, Gary. And someone else actually said this is the greatest day for Gary Megson because this is us getting the chance to say farewell to a man who's come in and done a brilliant job for us in one game. This is his final goodbye. What a way to go. Thank you, Gary. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's looking like Alan Pardew. We heard the mention there, didn't we, from Matt, that Alan Pardew might be the man. Is he the man to go in and make a difference at that football club? He will change the way they've approached football in the last few months, that's for sure. Yeah, I think there's been disgruntled fans and they've been very vocal in that they didn't like the style of play under Pulis. Um, 
but it's, it's weird because Pulis is the kind of one of the guys you call upon when things aren't going too well for your team. And so it's a weird situation. But what Pardew does bring is when he does go into clubs, I think he's shown in, in the years gone by that he injects some some life into a team and they start getting to results immediately. And I think he's, he's somebody who's um, he's thought of highly in the game. There was people muting that he was going to be England manager a few years ago because of the form he was in at, at Newcastle. So you can see he's, he's quite, quite an obvious choice. Um, and he's, I think he's got a, a decent group of players to work with there. There's some 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 pace in the size. One done, Matt Phillips on the on the wing, and some experience too. So it'll be a good job, I think. Good choice for me. I think, yeah. I think he's a good match. They could have gone and plucked one of those obscure from world football managers. I think that they've done before. Wouldn't inspire, now. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't inspire so much. I think he's, he can be inspiring. He's a character in the dressing room. Sort of type of player that they have. I think he can get them going. And it's about having that instant impact, actually, for West Brom, isn't it? Whether Alan Pardew can sustain it, we have question marks over from previous jobs. But for instant impact, you feel yeah, like he can Yeah, and I think that's out. what the West Brom board wants and that's what they've been worried about, you know, getting dragged close to that relegation fight. You know, in Pardew, he knows the league. He'll know all the players and he should give them a big lift and get them safe where they can be more comfortable. And it's probably refreshing as a player as well, isn't it? If you sort of feel you've been shackled somewhat in that Tony Pulis team, it's like someone like Jay Rodriguez, for example. We watched him at Southampton. It looked like he was never going to score a goal the way that he was having to track back and playing out wide. The way Alan plays, it will free a lot of those players up a bit, won't it? Yeah, enough. That's what we've seen in the media. Not only the fans are frustrated, but some of the players there are saying that this isn't the style of football we like to play. So, but then it's a bit of pressure then back on their toes. Mm -hmm. You were moaning before about a manager, you better go and produce now. You've got a manager who people are saying is going to come in and Alan Pardew, he's playing a different style of football. You better produce under him now. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, stop the excuses and get back on the bench. There's a lot of pressure on a lot of teams down there. I mean, you know, Mark Hughes at Stoke is another one, isn't it? Yeah, and teams have spent big money yeah. as well. And it, it's, it's expectation as well. A lot, a lot of fans expect the clubs to be up there fighting for the European places. Um, it's a jungle down there, it's tough, everyone's fighting for points and you know the, the top sides are getting better and moving further away. I worry for Swansea a little bit. And I, I know Paul Clement, yeah. I think in the summer what they brought in and I thought you know they lost Lorente, who his goals kept them up second half of last season and I worry for them. Yeah. Do you know Paul? I know Paul, yeah, very well and I, and I like Paul a lot and I think he's, as I say, I think what he's what he's working with there is going to be tough just in terms of the quality. So is that the issue there? Because when, when he first went in last season, he made, a, he made a big difference. It was poisonous just before his arrival. What, what's gone wrong? Is it simply quality, you think? Well, uh, to get out of trouble, you've got to score goals. And uh, they've got Boney in to, to score. He's not scoring goals. Yeah. And so you wonder where they ever go today. He's a prime game at home. They need to win that game. And they didn't. He lost Sigurdsson as well. And, and Lorente, they were the main threats from last year. And they haven't replaced them. Mm. Oh. Uh, right, time now to talk superstitions. We'll hear from these three in a second. But first, let's hear from you. Footballing superstitions, well, they've been around as long as football. I know for a fact, I said, uh, with this winning streak going along, uh, I wouldn't have my hair cut. Now, it's been seven months since City lost the game, so I'm starting to look like well, playing time Steve McManaman. Pre-match superstitions. Um, don't think about the match or talk about the match. Football's a game, and whatever you do off the pitch won't affect it on it. The facts speak for themselves. Did we win promotion? Yes, we did. Uh, was I wearing my lucky underpants for all the big games? Yes, I was. Case closed. I will use the same turnstile number at every home game until we lose a match. I must go through the uh, same turnstile at the Etihad. I simply have to go through the same turnstile every single week. The shirt doesn't go on until just before kickoff. Les Chapman, City's old kit man, told me that he had to hide Peter Schmeichel's gloves and only 
only giving them him in the tunnel. How crazy is that? My favourite one has to just be the simple Daniel Sturridge watches all of his goals on the coach before he arrives at every single game. I love that one. If I don't bring this scarf, then we're clearly going to lose because this scarf honestly wins us games. And the only other one is just to make sure that I've cleared away anything heavy or solid from within my reach so that I don't end up throwing it at the wall or at the telly. This is Swansea we're talking about. <laughs> it's brilliant. So you, you three probably, well, you wouldn't realise, having been in football all your life, that it means as much to the fans in terms of superstitions and doing things the right way to help you get the right result. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, they must feel really let down sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they spent the whole morning in a routine and then we let them down. I remember, though, when we were first together at Wembley and we stood there, it was the semi-final and we stood near the fans and you said, like, I had no idea about this kind of an atmosphere at a football ground because I've, I've never been in it before. I've either been in the dressing room or I've been warming up in the zone. Yeah, when people say, oh, did you enjoy that game? You're playing a big game of final yeah, like, or semi-final, you go, did you see that happen? And you go, like, not really, because you're in your own little world, you're in your own bubble and you're just trying to get through the game to win the game and so everything else is a bit of a blur. Amazing. So until you're out of it and you see it going on, like even little uh, video clips like that, you don't really take it, take it in. That's how much it means to the fans. So they have their superstitions. I had mine when I used to go and watch Norwich at Carrow Road. What about you? Didn't have many. No? Uh, not really. Well, no. that ends I, this conversation I, quite I, quick, I, doesn't I it? I had a routine. We've got six minutes. I had a routine that I used to stick to, but I didn't have any crazy ones. Like, for example, Pepe Reina used to go to the same petrol station before a game, and I used to Did scratch it? my head at that one and think, well, how's that affecting whether you're going to let one in or save... Make a world-class save. If you never allowed yourself, or you weren't the type of person that thought, I've got no, to No, I was just one who was the same routine all the time. Similar food, similar rest, similar build. That's kind of a superstition, though, isn't it? You Maybe. wanted specific things. That... Yeah, but it was more, i seen it as a routine. I didn't call it really a superstition. Like Paul Ince, for example, putting a shirt on last to go out before the game. I didn't have none like that. What about Luis Garcia? I heard a story about him in the European Cup final. Yeah, he was giving a shout out in the dressing room. You know, no one touched the cup on the way out. It's bad luck, and he, he, you could see him like sort of on the way out, making sure no one touched it. And looking well after the game when I watched it back, obviously I was at the front, but yeah, he was paranoid that someone was going hurting to touch the players him. away from the trophy. What, were you a sort of player that had these little things you had to do? Little, yeah, I was pretty like, routine, but a bit more. Like, I would stick when I, if I felt I was playing well or scoring, and we were winning, I would stick to certain things and. Like what sort of stuff? Uh, I'd like go for a walk pre-match near where I live and I would sort of do a certain route and laps. Uh, I'd use the same urinal in the dressing room out of the three. And what were you like when things interrupted? Like, I don't know, you had a great pair of boots and something went wrong with them or, you know, you had a, a, something that got in the way of yeah. your specific... Well, I was quite funny about boots. If I was scoring, I'd keep boots so they're quite old. But then, so if I was somewhere in the middle and not just playing OK, I would have a massive discussion about new boots or same old yeah. boots. Sort of stare at them for it. And then I realised that I was just causing myself... <laughs> an absolute nuisance I didn't need to. Additional pro Which yeah. urinal was it? Uh, left. Always left? There were three and I was left. I played left side of three in midfield, so I, <laughs> I used to queue up for that left one when they were all three. Well, the other two were three, yeah. It worked for you. Three? None. Yeah, I was quite superstitious. Oh, yeah, um, yeah I'd, I'd always uh, like to do a certain walk around the hotel. Um, I'd always splash my face with water in the tunnel. I would jump before I went on the pitch. I I'd run out a certain way on the pitch, weird. And if I didn't do it, it'd be in my head. Well, so um, once the game has started, let's say you're yeah, once the game United, started, you're thinking, fine. hold on a minute. Yeah, once the game started, I was fine, unless I started having a nightmare. I said, I, I, I knew it was that's the reason. But but beforehand, if I'd missed something on the way to go, leading up to a game, it would play on my mind. But again, when the whistle went, I was kind of, I was all right. But it's just extra stress that you put yourself under. Yeah. I remember we used to be in the, the England change room. And I remember playing 
rolling the, we used to play two touch messing about with the ball and the ball got rolled to Joe Cole and he was jumping around, wasn't he? Like, yeah. he, he didn't want to touch the ball. He refused to touch the ball in the changing, in the changing room before a game it was bad luck. He'd sit there with his legs up. Because yeah. you couldn't yeah. get it off him once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be sitting at his peg and he'd have his legs up so the ball didn't touch him. Yeah. yeah. Before the game started, he'd be booting it at him. Yeah. That's all we used to do, just to wind him up. But he was sitting there rolling at him like that, watching him just like, like being turmoil. Like yeah. it would, it used to do him completely. If it touched the ball, he wasn't looking at it. Like that was him. His yeah. head was Done. gone. Yeah. Uh, what about? Wasn't there a story about John Terry and, and you helped him out with some shin pads or something? We used to wear these. He had these miniature shin pads. They're about that big. I don't know how they're even legal. They used to cover a tiny bit of his shin, and uh, he lost them once. And I gave him mine, which are slightly bigger. And he cut them down to a little slither. And then he got on with those ones, but he'd had them for like 10 years. I had a pair of pads for about 10 years. They absolutely stunk. <laughs> <laughs> just stuck with them. But things that make you comfortable in your head, they do help. It's, it's just a bit complicated when you go those extra steps and it becomes a bit of madness. But the thing is, when you're a professional footballer, it's an insane job. You know, you're coming out here today in front of 40,000, 50,000 people and you're looking for things just almost like comfort blankets, things just to make you feel a little bit more comfortable, I think. Yeah, it's almost like an OCD yeah. uh, with your preparation and... You know, you're playing to the top, you want a perfect performance, you want you want to play well, you're desperate for the win and you want, a, obviously, an individual top performance. So you want to make sure your routine's perfect. And if you've got a superstition, you're obviously so paranoid to get it all in, into plan. Into but plan. Everyone, everyone around you as well becomes like they're used to it. Even the kit man, I used to walk in the change room at a certain time. He'd go, do you want your coffee? I'd always have a coffee at a certain time before a game, do you know what I mean? Or... Do you want you, you do you want your, your strapping now? And I'll be like, no, no, you know, I want it before, I want it earlier, I want it. They all just know. Everyone seems to start working you out and sees what you see what you do. So it is it is crazy. But I think within the dressing room, it's kind of well, it's people the norm, understand you're it. existing in a world where everyone is kind of a bit similar, aren't they? Mm. I mean, I remember reading David Beckham's book, and he's that open and admitted he's a bit obsessive, and he used to mm. go into his house, didn't he, and turn everything around so in his cupboard, everything faced the front. You know, he didn't want anything looking slightly askew. And, and when you retire and you do the you know, what we all do now, does this melt away? Or do you still have that slight obsession? It's melted me. away from yeah, me. Is it? Yeah. You chill out now. Just chill. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Next week, we've another mouth-watering clash as Arsenal take on Manchester United at the Emirates. So be sure to join us then on BT Sport. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And thanks for listening. Bye.